Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Newcastle Chronicle and Journal, Lancashire Live and the Hull Daily Mail. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons, bringing you another episode of analysis and political commentary from the North. I'm joined again by our Westminster editor Dan O'Donoghue to take stock on a week where Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are locked in battle to win over Tory members who would decide who will be our next Prime Minister. The next big stop, as this podcast goes out, is the first regional hustings organised by the Conservative Party in Leeds, with similar events including Manchester and Darlington to come. But if you've missed it, there's been a big intervention by the Northern Agenda and 16 major Northern news titles asking Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss not to turn their back on the North and to keep their focus on levelling up and regional inequalities. There's some really striking front pages with uh, looking like graffiti daubed on the front door of number 10, which went out this week and was to really pile the pressure on to the two candidates just to get them to really focus on this big flagship agenda that Boris Johnson introduced and helped him win the 2019 general election, but does feel like it's been slipping off the agenda a little bit. So we asked both the hopefuls five questions on quite specific aspects of levelling up and how they would help the North. And uh, Dan, they've come, they've all come back to us as of today with uh, quite varied answers, haven't they? Can you just take us through some of the highlights of what they've been saying? Yeah, well, f- first off, Rob, I just wanted to say all credit for you for uh, getting this uh, front and centre and forcing this back on the agenda as uh, even casual observers of these debates and things would have seen, you know, I think a lot of the time there's a bit more preoccupation with probably some of the more trivial aspects of things. So this is obviously a huge area of concern for our region. And, you know, we, we've got some pretty uh, meaty responses to the the questions. I mean, you know, they were on everything from, you know, what commitments uh, will be kind of kept and how will they ensure that they're going to be delivered and issues around productivity and in the north and education and child poverty. And as I say, it's, it's a very varied response. I, th- I think all the, the people we asked, I mean, we obviously asked Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss and Lisa and Andy just to get a Labour perspective as well. I think all I would say is from, from reading the responses, there's slightly light on detail, which has obviously been a complaint that's been made a lot, I think, over the years on this level and up agenda where I think people often can identify the problems, but perhaps not the solutions. You know, Rishi Sunak is talking about stuff like, you know, he will double down on the level and up agenda uh, and he will keep the North front and centre of his mind. I think Liz Truss has maybe been a little bit more specific ju- just on this area. She said, you know, she backed this idea of a level and up formula, which would be similar to the Barnet formula in Scotland, where kind of cash should be redistributed around the region. And she's also said she would kind of roll out these investment zones, which are kind of like free ports that people have heard a fair bit about. I, th- I think a, a massive one from here, actually, to be honest, um, is this decision to uh, back Northern Powerhouse Rail in full. It's something that you've written about extensively, Rob, and so many journalists across the north that there was a sense of betrayal back in November when this um, massive integrated rail plan was released. And you know, a, a quick scan of, of what was going to be delivered for the North revealed that it'd be kind of a, a bit of a cut-priced version. But she said, you know, she would go back to the drawing board with it, really, and, and kind of roll it out in full. So that that was a one that really caught my eye. I don't know what your kind of reading of the, uh, the responses have been, Rob. Yeah, I think you're right that there wasn't a huge amount of 
detail. And I guess things have moved so fast, haven't they, from Boris Johnson resigning to large number of candidates who've now been whittled down. And I guess it's reasonable or understandable that not everyone would have a completely fully formed policy platform on all these quite detailed things at this stage. I guess what we were looking for is a recognition of the fact that what's been done so far on levelling up is only a fraction of what needs to be done. And, you know, there, there really needs to be, it needs to be a long-term transformative project, ideally driven by local leaders uh, who know their patches best. That's what we wrote in our editorial to go with the front pages this week. And did we get that sort of, that soaring ambition, that that real sense of trying to transform things in the answers from Vicious Unak and Liz Truss? I'm not totally sure we did, to be honest. I guess the proof will be in how, you know, Northern members and, you know, the voters at large react to it. And it does seem like both candidates, they're, like you say, Dan, they're pushing very, very particular issues that they think Conservative members want to hear about at the moment. And maybe it's the case that levelling up and, you know, the extra investment that's going to be needed, they don't feel that's going to play particularly well with Tory members at this stage. And perhaps it's in the future, once they're Prime Minister, that they will they will really get into the detail of this. So I guess perhaps there's still room to be optimistic, but I think it's, you're right, it'd be nice to have seen more detail and more ambition, uh, I think. Well, Will, I guess we haven't got long to find out exactly what people in Yorkshire make of it, because the Leeds Hustings is uh, later this week, and we'll see what people make of it. But elsewhere in the podcast, we've got another couple of Northern big hitters giving their views on what Sunak and Truss should do for the North, the future of levelling up, and how we get a Northern economy that is fair to everyone and competes with the rest of the country. I spoke to Manchester-born Lord Jim O'Neill, the former chief economist at Goldman Sachs, about how his vision of a Northern powerhouse, which he came up with during his time at the Treasury with George Osborne in 2014, is holding up eight years on and have the 10 years of austerity undermined the achievements and aims that he was aiming for. And Lancashire MP Jake Berry, the chair of the influential Northern Research Group of Northern Backventures, tells us what he wants to see from the two candidates to be Prime Minister. So let's hear from them. One man who's been banging the drum loudly and enthusiastically for the North, both in government and outside it as an influential Conservative backbencher, is the Lancashire MP Jake Berry. Once a Northern powerhouse minister with a seat in the cabinet, he now lobbies ministers as a critical friend on behalf of the 50 or so Northern Tory MPs who form the Northern Research Group. We haven't heard a lot about the future of the North in the Tory leadership debate so far, despite Boris Johnson owing much of his 80-seat majority to gains from Labour in our region. But the MP for Rossendale and Darwin has made his presence felt by persuading both candidates to publicly back four pledges on topics including devolution, vocational education and public spending. So, Jake, Berry, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. So, we've already seen a handful of debates between Rissy Shunak and Liz Trusk. I mean, would you 
agree with me that you'd have perhaps liked to have heard a bit more so far about what the next Prime Minister will do for Northern England? Yeah, I mean, Stoke sort of was the first time that levelling up has come up and it's an appropriate sort of place for it to come up, given that many of those constituencies are what we call the the red wall constituencies were won in 2019 on a promise of levelling up. Um, I want to hear much more from the candidates throughout this leadership election about it, because I'm just really, really clear that, you know, those seats like Stoke and and, uh, those other seats in the red wall, they're not safe conservative seats. They're made up of people who lent us their vote in 2019 on a promise of delivery. If we fail to deliver, we shouldn't really expect those people to vote conservative next time. And now, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have publicly retweeted your letter, urging them to support what you describe as the Northern Agenda pledges on a variety of topics. I think we both know, don't we, and the, you know, the listeners at home know, that politicians make promises all the time, and it's quite easy to retweet a letter. I mean, how, how can we know, when will we know, that they're serious about this agenda and actually taking you know, concerted action that's going to make a difference? Well, I went to see every candidate in this leadership race, including some who are no longer have fallen at, the, at one of the hurdles, and not only asked them to sign this letter, but talked to them about it in detail. I spent a lot of time with Rishi and a lot of time with Liz talking about delivery. Because, of course, you know, it, it's no good, as you say, just retweeting letters or talking about what you're going to do. Delivery demands action. And that's why, you know, I, I spent so much time with them and, and really talked about how we're going to implement the promises that are contained within this this Northern Agenda promise. Because we all understand there's been uh, COVID and there's been problems facing our country. But, you know, frankly, handsome is as handsome does. And talking about things isn't the same as doing them. It's interesting you mentioned talking to Rishi and finding out a bit more about how he would do things because when I mean maybe it's mostly Labour politicians who who say this but when when people in the north talk about what has perhaps meant that leveling up hasn't happened in quite the way they would have hoped so far they often lay it at the door of the treasury and say individual departments say the department for transport would have wanted to spend more on the integrated rail plan or the the bus plan but it's the treasury's reluctance to open the cash taps has meant that these projects haven't been as ambitious and transformative as they could have been. I mean, do, do you do you buy that argument? And and it, it, it can someone who has been the chancellor and is responsible for you know balancing the books uh, can, can they also be the person who takes this transformative action that we that we need? Well, look, those people who blame it on the treasury, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be headline news, but they're right. When I was Northern Powerhouse Minister, most of my job was battling with the Treasury to get them to buy into this agenda. And I think that's what makes those Northern promises that we've asked each candidate to sign really interesting, is the fact that one of them is a formulaic guarantee, a bit almost like a Barnett formula, if your listeners are aware of that, a promise to equalise spending around our United Kingdom. And taking just one uh, measure, transport spending in the North of England, If over the last decade that had been the same as it was in London, we would have seen £66 billion additional invested in our transport infrastructure. What would that look like? Well, could potentially look like a light rail system for Leeds. It could look like building Northern Powerhouse Rail to its fullest extent. 
connecting Bradford. It could be smart ticketing across Lancashire. So I think the real crucial thing about these pledges is it is, you know, a pledge by each candidate to level up that funding. It's simply not right that people get more spent on them in London and the South East. Um, you know, in the North, we want our fair share. And I hope and believe that the fact that each candidate has guaranteed this, it will bring the Treasury to heel, as it were. You've spoken about the importance of a levelling up formula for funding so that it's fair around the regions. But we were just discussing before we came uh, on air, there's a report out this week by the think tank IPPR North, which shows that in the last three years, the funding gap between London and the North has actually widened. I mean, does that presumably that doesn't surprise you, given what you've just said? How much of a concern is it that that is continuing to happen, despite seemingly that, you know, the, the political focus being on the North, but London is still getting more than its fair share? Well, look, doesn't that say exactly why we need this levelling up formula with the equalisation of spending? Because it doesn't really matter what you say in politics, it's about what you do. And I think the time for talking is over. We've talked for years. In fact, Rishi Sunak, when he was at the Treasury, did some good work realigning what we call the Green Book, which is how the government spends money to favour funding in the north of it. You know, look at the figures, the facts speak for themselves. It hasn't really worked. And that's why something like a, a Barnett formula for less developed regions of our United Kingdom, it's just not the north, is it? It's places like Cornwall or the East Midlands, or, or in fact, areas of the West Midlands, you know, something which guarantees fairer funding across our nation, I think is, is, is the sort of radical thing we need to do to change Treasury orthodoxies, because it seems no matter what else has been said or done, they just keep going. You know, where is our money? Give us our money. And uh, if you won't give it to us, well, we'll have this with this guarantee. I mean, it's interesting because often when we talk about the North and, and, and what it what it needs, you get the reply back of, oh, you just want, you know, the North has just got its begging bowl out again. We just want, you just want us to spend loads of money on you. But actually, at least a couple of your pledges are, uh, you know, not something that requires loads and loads of money. I mean, obviously devolution, for example, is you've called for a right to devolution for all areas in the UK with a presumption in favour of government agreement. That is not a money thing so much as it's a change in who has control of the money. I mean, what, why would that make such a such a difference in your in your view? Well, look, one of the things we've called for is this right to devolution. Uh, it's in the pledges that each candidate signed. And that's born almost out of that frustration that's shown by your question that areas come up with their own deals uh, for them. The government has a sort of Henry VIII power, means they can refuse them for no good uh, reason. And I guess... The point is that I fervently believe that someone who lives in Lancashire knows better how to spend money on adult education or lives anywhere else. It's about ensuring that we take power away from the centre and return it to our regions. And of course, that doesn't just mean the north of England. It means all other areas of our country as well. And you're right to say that it's not about spending more money. It's actually about different people having the power to spend our own money for ourselves. Um, but historically, it's something that's been resisted by the government. And I think this this right to devolution is an exciting next step in, in that story of transferring power away from Whitehall. So going back to the leadership debate thus far, I mean, from, my, from what I've been reading and watching, it seems like we've been hearing a lot about things like tax cuts, whether they're a good idea or not, uh, immigration and the 
the plan to send immigrants to Rwanda and, you know, culture war issues and gender identity and so forth. Now, you know, when you're back in Lancashire talking to your constituents, I mean, are those are those really the big issues that are likely to sway their votes? Or is it at the moment a case of candidates talking to Conservative members rather than talking to the public at large? Well, it's a bit of a, a mixed picture. I mean, certainly tax is a real issue for people, not just in Lancashire, but across our entire country. And of course, we're the only country in the G7 that's responded to the cost of living crisis by putting up people's personal taxes. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I don't see how you can level anywhere up when you're taking money out of people's pay packets, which they can't really afford. But the other issues that have been covered, immigration, yes, people care about that. The culture wars, not 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 so much. I mean, when I'm when I'm talking to my mates or I'm stood at the bar in the pub or picking the kids up from school, it's you know, it's not something that that people talk about. Cost of living is something we've really got to focus on and you know, to some extent that has been covered, but I'd like to hear a lot more from each of the candidates because I personally think that's the biggest threat facing families across the north or in fact anywhere you live in this country. So the final question, if you you look back to the 2019 election when the Tories made such startling gains in in the north, I think you had four big things in your favour. You had Brexit and the fact that, you know, the north of England was largely in favour of Brexit and getting it sorted. Uh, The unpopularity of Jeremy Corbyn and the popularity at that time of Boris Johnson and also the idea of levelling up the North. Now, going into the next election, whenever that happens, it's looking like probably three of those big advantages for the Conservatives are, you're not going to have anymore. I mean, is that a concern for you know Red Wall MPs who are going into the next election with, in a lot of cases, quite razor-thin majorities? They're going to feel quite nervous, aren't they, unless things change quite quite dramatically in the next year or two? Well, look, we've got a bit of time. I mean, the first thing to say is that, you know, part of the Red Wall vote was not just about Jeremy Corbyn, but rejecting decades in which the Labour Party, people said, had failed to deliver for them. Of course, that hasn't changed. And I don't think Sir Keir Starmer really has put a compelling argument forward for anyone in the North or or anywhere else in the country for that matter. Um, Another part of it, Brexit is is done, of course, and I think people will credit us with that. But just focusing on the levelling up for a moment, look, I, I've got a window test on on levelling up. I, I think no one really knows what it means because it means everything and, and nothing to people. But if I look out of my car window or the window of the bus as I'm going through my constituency or anywhere else, can I see that things are changing? Um, people did something very brave. People voted Conservative at the last election. They, they did something that, you know, their parents would never have thought of doing. And I spoke to lots of people who said, you know, I just never thought I'd do this, but I, I'm going to make that step and back you. They expect us to be as brave in terms of delivery. And that, that window test of looking through the window, they want to see their communities getting better. Now, of course, people understand that there's been that global pandemic and things are taking much longer than one would want. There are small steps like getting the the hoardings up, getting the the bulldozers on site in most small improvements to the town centre, which I hope that my colleagues across the Red Wall will be able to point to and say, look, we haven't got the job done, but we've got the job started. And I think if we can do that, we'll be in a good spot. And the reason I think we'll be in a good spot is people like to be right. All those people who voted Conservative 
for the first time ever, believing that things would get better. They, they want to see that things are get, getting better. They want to say to their friends and family, look, I voted Conservative. It was the right thing to do. Um, and, and so we've got, we've got a small window of opportunity to start to make those changes. And if we do, I think that people will continue to back the Conservative Party across the Red Wall and elsewhere, because I just don't think the Labour Party's got any of the answers, frankly. Jake Bailey, thank you very much. Thank you. At the heart of the North-South divide is one word, productivity, essentially the amount of value the average worker creates for the economy in a set amount of time. In the North, the average worker is 50% less productive than their London counterpart, a gaping void which seeps through into wages, health, educational outcomes and the rising rates of child poverty. Put simply, we're not going to bridge the gap between the North and the South East unless we, as a region, work out how to bring in those high-skilled jobs which can help boost economies across the region. One man who's put considerable thought into how to grow the economy in the North is Lord Jim O'Neill. Born in Manchester and going on to be chief economist at financial giant Goldman Sachs and a crossbench peer. After that, he worked at the Treasury with then Chancellor George Osborne, where he helped come up with the concept of the Northern Powerhouse the idea that by combining the strengths of the big cities of the North, we can create an economy to compete with the most successful around the world. And in the last few weeks, he's been brought in by Labour to look at making Britain the best country in the world to start a new business. So who better to assess where we stand with the current political efforts to create an economy that works for everyone? Jim O'Neill, welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. Not a problem at all. So why don't we start with that general question, which is from where you're standing, are we making progress in the aims that were at the heart of the sort of Northern Powerhouse vision that you and George Osborne set out seven, eight years ago? Um, ish. Um, it's sort of three steps forward, two and three quarter steps back is how I describe it uh, this week. Um, partly with, a, with an eye on how the leadership debate is unfolding. Um, you know, as, as is uh, evident by the fact we have a leadership campaign, uh, this will be, what, the fourth Conservative Party leader in 12 years of Tory-led governments. Uh, and so part of the reason why it's two and three quarters step back is it's difficult to get uh, a sustained period of focus on the same guiding principles uh, by our political leadership, um, including, but not only, of course, uh, the Northern Powerhouse issue. And, and that is a big problem. Um, the three steps forward, I would say, is because of the legacy of the power of the Northern Powerhouse idea in 2015, 2016, uh, and to their credit, the, uh, the ongoing efforts by a number of people in civic society, local leadership, things like the Northern Powerhouse Partnership that I'm vice chair of, uh, and with it, the, the fact to some degree, I would say the genie is a bit out of the bottle, and it's despite uh, the inadequacies of our current leadership, 
um, the issue is so important, it's difficult to kill. Yeah, for the last three years, we've been hearing about levelling up from Boris Johnson. And levelling up, it seems to me, as a concept, is slightly different from the Northern Powerhouse in that there's a lot more focus on the towns between between the big cities. The Northern Powerhouse, as a concept, was about agglomeration and combining the strength of Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle, Liverpool, whereas levelling up, I guess, for party political reasons, at least partly, was uh, about the, the towns, the smaller towns that perhaps have been left behind. I mean, and, even, and now, obviously, Boris Johnson has gone. Michael Gove, uh, his levelling up secretary, has been sacked. I mean, are you worried that the whole issue of regional inequality is 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 moving steadily down the agenda is that the way it seems seems to you or, or is, is there is there reason for reason for optimism um let's see uh i i'm not sure um i am worried but linked to what i touched on before the issue is so big i don't see how uh policymakers and the new leader can afford to ignore it. Um, and I go as far as saying if they do, uh, this gives a huge opportunity for the Labour Party to regain control uh, of certainly social issues that they've sort of lost to the Tories. If I reflect on where the Northern Powerhouse idea kind of came from, which was the City's Growth Commission that I led, in 2013, uh, what surprised me, and in fact, the whole commission, was in terms of embracing some of our ideas, the Labour Party at the time, for various reasons, didn't seem really interested. And it really, you know, quite surprised me. Uh, and of course, it was the, the Tory party and George Osborne in particular, that took up uh, some of our crucial recommendations. And I, I see levelling up as a sort of derivative uh, of the Northern Powerhouse for three reasons. First of all, speaking very frankly, um, as we saw with Theresa May, uh, there's a lot of uh, infighting between various Tory party factions and Boris Johnson wasn't the greatest fan of George Osborne either. And so he didn't want to be banging on about Northern Powerhouse the same way Theresa May didn't. But he was uh, attracted to the the social and political issues to do with it, hence, you know, another slogan. Secondly, um, as you touched on um, and linked to their political fortunes and much of the red wall seats, uh, they, they wanted to focus more on places that are not just big cities. And then thirdly, and I think there is some philosophical legitimacy to this, There's, it's not so important economically, in my opinion, and great to have the chance to expand on this but it is the case uh, as bad as northern productivity is it, it, it's it's also true elsewhere in the country uh rural southwest productivity is weak um many parts of the midlands it's true so you know the certain issues where a lot of people in the north talk about it's just it should just be about us but it's you know the same issues are true with many other places what distinguishes the importance of the Northern Powerhouse, as you touched on at the start, is it happens to be the only place that has so many cities that are pretty close to each other. And if you really got that working as one economic unit, it would make a national difference. And there is nowhere else in the country that has that. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And um, it's, well, we're talking on Tuesday morning and last night we were hearing Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, they were asked briefly uh, about levelling up and what they do and they made all the right noises. They seemed enthusiastic about the idea, but there wasn't a huge amount of detail that I could see. I mean, from what you've heard from our next, the two people who are going to be our next Prime Minister, do you feel they understand the importance of this of this agenda? Uh, not really. Uh, I'm underwhelmed. I'm pretty underwhelmed more broadly by what they're both uh, focusing on. You know, the, the, the slight obsession with tax cuts seems to me paying homage to the legacy of Margaret Thatcher and the image historically of the Tory party. Uh, and, you know, trained in macroeconomics, uh, I would say it's not the right thing that the country needs right now. We need something to boost uh, seriously our productivity in the places where it's weakest are the places where it should get the most attention. So uh, I would say with significant strength of conviction, the single biggest challenge of this country uh is getting productivity improved in the weakest parts of the country and the importance of the northern powerhouse is there's a lot of those places there and a lot of them are relatively big english cities by the standards of english cities uh and if you could get them all firing together we would boost the country's growth trend and no i've not heard much at all from either rishi or liz truss uh to suggest they really understand the simplicity and importance of it. And, I mean, productivity is uh, something that I guess m- most people wouldn't give too much thought to, but there's there's a lot to... There, there's so many different factors that play into it, aren't, aren't there? It, it's not just getting the transport links right, but it's ensuring that the skill level of people uh, is higher than it is at the moment and that the jobs are there for them to them to take. I mean, it, there's all, all these different jigsaw pieces that need to slot into place aren't there and and with that being the case it's a job of it's it's a it's a long a long job to get the productivity levels of the north up to up to those of london and the southeast isn't it it's not something we're going to achieve overnight uh, just as i start to answer that i want to not contradict myself but add a caveat to what i said about uh both liz truss and rishi sunak uh despite the fact i find them underwhelming i think they're better than uh for the northern powerhouse agenda than some of the other candidates that were standing, partly because uh, Liz Truss is is waxing lyrically about the pride of coming from a comprehensive school in Leeds. And of course, Rishi uh, is an MP in the heart of York, Northern Yorkshire. Um, and, and he did make reference to uh, the interesting uh, developments going on in the Tees Valley area. Um, but with that in mind, going to your question, yeah, uh, I, I often say there are six ingredients necessary to deliver the long-term, long-term success of the Northern Powerhouse. Uh, devolution, skills, education, uh, infrastructure, not only but including transport, uh, more business uh, development and engagement, uh, and uh, particularly with a sort of Yorkshire mindset in, in, in uh, in mind, I often say it needs more oomph. Um, you know, we need we need a, a lot of people, including many from the north, to realise that the great historical uh, manufacturing and mining success is a thing of the past. And in order for the north to thrive in the future, 
everybody has to be prepared to do things differently and with a different ambition and be clear about it and not just sort of feel that somebody's got to give them a handout or look after them because of the past, because that's not going to work. Now, you, you wrote in a recent piece in the Financial Times that uh, you mentioned devolution there. You meant you said in your article that accelerating devolution is the right place to start to keep the momentum going on levelling up or whatever we call it in the future. Yeah, what, yeah. What, why, why is that the case? And is it the case that Metro mayors and and northern leaders are the ones who are going to sort of play a, a driving role in 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 this in in the aims that you're you're talking about. I mean, I specifically put that into the piece for three reasons. First of all, notwithstanding uh, the obsession to cut taxes, it seems to me there isn't a lot of money uh, to throw around at the moment, and so one of the huge important uh, benefits of devolution it's not just about money; it's about giving uh accountable leadership and responsibility to people in local areas and it's difficult to take that away once you've given it secondly as we've seen uh in those areas that have taken uh the devolution mandate the most um keenly so far let's call it with andy burnham in greater manchester and ben houchin in tees valley and uh, outside of the north um, and the uh, street from the West Midlands. The, these three people have now uh, got very big uh, platforms uh, and are probably more recognised than many of the MPs in their local area. Uh, and I think notwithstanding some of the local issues and, 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 and irrelevance of which political party they represent, the three of them are doing a great advocacy job for what devolution is all about. And then the, the third reason is because linked to the, the, the money issue, uh, one of the six ingredients to deliver Northern Powerhouse success, I said, was skills. Uh, and, and going all the way back to the City's Growth Commission, we, we recommended that the skills part of responsibilities of what was called uh, biz at the time uh, should, be, should be closed. And all adult school skills should be devolved locally. The, the idea that a bunch of civil servants, many of whom are probably in the mid-20s, uh, sitting, albeit well-intentioned, in Whitehall, would have the slightest idea of, of the subtleties of the skills requirement in Hull from those in, say, I don't know, Oldham, uh, is just ridiculous. It's just completely ridiculous. And linking it all together... Uh, as is pretty well known from those that follow these things, we are the most centrally run uh, nation in, in the whole of the OECD, uh, with a possible exception, I think, of Albania, of all places. Um, and it, 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 I don't think it's a coincidence that we have one of the most geographically di divided countries in terms of economic performance and productivity. So uh, I, I believe that the devolution journey has only started in the past decade and there needs to be significantly more devolution as we go through time. And, and so it seems to me not only a crucial part of the success of uh, the Northern Powerhouse and boosting long-term productivity, but uh, in the current circumstances, the most obvious place for those that are in favour of all of this to really advocate for further action now. When we write about or when I write about uh, things that relate to the Northern powerhouse as a as a concept and George Osborne's vision that he he spelled out with your 
with your help. But quite often what people, I, I the feedback I get is that the, the whole vision of the, the North's great cities combining is is great. But actually during that period, we saw 10 years of austerity and massive cuts to local services, which meant that local leaders who would be best placed to drive uh, the changes that you've been talking about were less able to do so because their budgets were cut by 50 60 percent and that kind of undermined the the original the the aims of of tackling regional inequality to what extent do you agree with that argument is that a fair point to make uh, i have i have some th- sympathy but with one really important caveat um those cuts were not just exclusive to parts of the north uh, local authorities all over the country had the same uh, cuts. Um, so that's not a reason to decry the Northern Powerhouse. The other, other areas didn't get the attention uh, that the North did. Uh, and so the validity of those arguments are even stronger for people outside of the North than they are inside the North. Uh, however, I, I do have sympathy with it, uh, and it's something I didn't really agree uh, with the cabinet uh, under Cameron and Osborne uh, that I was briefly part of, and I made it pretty clear. And indeed, in this FT piece that you've just cited that was published yesterday, uh, I call for a much more ambitious uh, approach to investment spending in the UK. And it was something I was trying to persuade George about when I was a minister, uh, And indeed, something I stayed on for three months after he disappeared and something I tried to really persuade uh, the new chancellor, uh, Philip Hammond, about as a sort of modern version of what you might call Gordon Brown's old uh, golden rule. And I think the country desperately needs it uh, in order to raise investment spending in so many crucial different parts of the country. Um, Partly because private investment spending itself has been so weak as well. Um, but obviously it would help uh, make up for uh, some of the uh, persistent cuts that have taken place on a local authority basis over the past decade and beyond. And I'm guessing due to the fact that we're having this conversation that you, you weren't able to convince George Osborne and Philip Hammond of the, uh, the, the strength of that particular idea. I mean, I mean again, the, 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 the sympathy, you know, you have to remember the time in which the Tory government came in. It was the, the, there was a, a crisis in the European monetary system raging and literally a, a significant fear that Greece would leave uh, EMU and the whole of the European financial system would collapse. So there was a lot of focus on trying to have fiscal uh, stability. Um, but uh, and in that sense, George uh, also found it politically very powerful to oppose uh, the Labour Party on such a platform. Uh, but I didn't agree with it. Philip Hammond did have a bit more intellectual interest in it, uh, and in a way, that's what led to what we have formally now: this sort of slightly feeble uh, notion of only borrowing to invest, and that day-to-day taxes cover current consumption. But it's not good enough. The country in general uh, needs much more than that. And if we're ever going to be able to deliver on things like Northern Powerhouse Rail in full, uh, which is crucial for the Northern Powerhouse's success, uh, and on the local transport system, which I know a lot of people in Greater Manchester constantly complain about, uh, as well as uh, linked to 
the review I'm helping the Labour government on and, and as demonstrated by uh, Northern Gritstone, this uh, new body that I'm chairing investing in Northern Universities, we need a lot more government-backed investments in priority areas uh, for the country as a whole, but particularly in regions uh, where productivity is so weak. Absolutely. Now, uh, the, fa- the final question, you grew up in Manchester and you, know, you, mm-hmm. you call Manchester home. And uh, it, it seems to me that Manchester is held up quite often as the example of how a northern city can, uh, you know, all the investment that's been poured into it. And whenever you go into the centre of Manchester, you can see the, you know, the, all the development and the skyscrapers. And it's a really buzzing place. Is is Manchester's success, ca- can that be copied uh, successfully in other parts of the north? Or is it not quite as simple as saying what Manchester has done, Leeds, Newcastle, Liverpool should 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 do are, are the, the circumstances in those different parts of the north mean that Manchester success can't necessarily be copied in a sort of identical kind of way I mean this is not a simple question to answer very quickly but I'll try you know I think the answer is it has to be uh and what what Manchester has done and this goes back uh obviously beginning with a decade before and we we had a an elected Mayor, um, what what uh, uh, the likes of Howard Bernstein uh, and Richard Lease, uh, together with the LEP and Nancy Rothwell at Manchester University, what what they all did, and it is something I've seen uh, still till today, is they all work from the same hymn sheets. Uh, and I often have said to people, sometimes you didn't know who was who was the council and who was the university and who was business. There were, it was all uh, a single determination to try and make Manchester different. And it goes back to my sixth ingredient about a bit more oomph. Uh, and if it wouldn't have been for that crowd, uh, the Treasury wouldn't have been persuaded uh, under the George Osborne uh, Treasury leadership of the whole case for devolution. It was the Manchester crowd that sort of persuaded them of the, of the benefits of devolving some, albeit modest, powers. Um, second thing I would add, it, politically, because of the nature of how GM is, where most of the councils are always Labour, it's probably a little bit easier than in some of the other northern cities, possible exception of Liverpool. Um um, and the third thing I would say is I, I do see some signs in Leeds the past two or three years that it's starting to develop the same kind of buzz that you see in central Manchester. Um, but whatever the local political issues are in terms of their councils, they've got to find a way of having the same oomph that has driven the Manchester gang for the past 20 years, because that's what's done it. I, I'd add one caveat. Uh, that I still say to to, to Andy, Andy Burnham and also uh, to Howard, who's a good mate of mine, and Richard and, and Nancy, is that despite the great success of central Manchester, as you would know, some of the outer boroughs not shared in it yet. And the ultimate success of greater Manchester requires some of this jam to be spread a bit more elsewhere. You see... Pretty encouraging signs of it going on, obviously, in Trafford, and Altrincham is a particularly good example. Uh, quite quite encouraging things going on in Stockport and Bury. 
but the likes of Oldham and Rochdale and uh, Thameside and some others, you know, they need to be more part of this. So, and I admire uh, what Andy Burnham's doing right now to try and, you know, do something to help some of these places be more part of it. Um, but if I put it all together, uh, the other places have to uh, be able to deliver what uh, Greater Manchester is trying to do and Central Manchester has done because otherwise they won't succeed. It's that indefinable quality of an oomph that is uh, needed across the north, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, Lord Jim O'Neill, thank you for speaking to us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. listening to the northern agenda podcast and don't forget you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk it's more important than ever for northern voices to be heard the northern agenda is a laudable production for reach it's presented by me rob parsons and dan o'donoghue and it's produced by daniel j mclaughlin if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the northern agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts including apple and spotify Also, check out the other laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.